Welcome to the show. This should be one of the most fascinating presentations you have ever seen. The reason is I'm going to show you with indisputable evidence straight from the Secretary of the Treasury that Form W-4 is to be used exclusively by non-resident aliens with U.S. source income, not American citizens, and that a Form W-9 is only to be used Again, according to the Secretary of the Treasury, by U.S. citizens acting as an agent for a foreign person with U.S. source income. I'm also going to show you where you can find the official document in which the Secretary says that so you can show it to others whose cognitive dissonance may have prevented them from acknowledging the truth that the income tax has never been imposed on ordinary working Americans in the states of the Union earning their own domestic income. Your going to love it. The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. Let's start with this. I'm the author of Income Tax Shattering the Myths, the best-selling book in America that reveals the hardcore legal facts concerning upon whom Congress has imposed the income tax and upon whom it has not imposed the income tax. At the end of this presentation, you be the judge. Virtually all Americans are ignorant about tax law. Pretty much the only exceptions are those who've read Income Tax Shattering the Myths. Because virtually all Americans are ignorant about tax law, I'm going to need to lay some foundation in order that the main point will hit you like a freight train. In a good way. Let's get into it. When the Secretary of the Treasury makes a formal determination on a matter of taxation, the way he announces that determination to Treasury Department employees, federal agencies that deal with the tax being addressed, private sector tax professionals, and the public is to create and publicly release an official document called a Treasury decision. That's nothing new. Treasury decisions have been around for well over 100 years. The only reason you are unaware of them or their significance in the tax arena is the intricacies of how the government administers tax matters isn't your thing. Don't feel bad. It is an obscure area of study for sure, and the government likes it that way. You'll understand why in just a few minutes. Today, we're going to focus on Treasury Decision 8734, which is incredibly revealing and worded quite clearly. Before we dive in and you get your mind blown, I need to make you aware of the relationship between tax statutes passed by Congress, Treasury decisions written by the Secretary of the Treasury, and tax regulations. The Supreme Court has referred to the wording of Congress's enactments as, quote, the broad language of the statute. SCOTUS has also stated that Congress cannot be expected to be experts on every subject concerning which they may be called upon to legislate. The appropriate cabinet officer then takes that broad language and creates far more detailed specific language. That far more detailed specific language becomes the basis of federal regulations on that subject. A good way to look at the difference between statutes passed by Congress and regulations promulgated by the Secretary is that regulations put the meat on the bone. As an example, a statute may be three paragraphs, while the regulation explaining how those three paragraphs are implemented might be nine pages. It is crucial to note that a regulation can never exceed 
or expand Congress's intent expressed in the statute. Although statutes come first in the timeline of events for the purpose of making sense of the information you're about to hear, let's start with Treasury decisions and regulations. When it comes to taxation, Treasury decisions are the basis from which tax regulations are created. It doesn't matter whether the tax is upon alcohol or tariffs or income. In Treasury decisions, the Secretary of the Treasury details everything everyone needs to know about how that tax is going to be administrated. Treasury decisions then serve as the basis from which to develop regulations. Regulations must be published in the Federal Register in order to be legally binding on the public. So the process works like this. The Secretary and his staff create a Treasury decision. The Treasury decision is published for all to see. The Treasury decision is then handed over to the legislative draftsman who makes sure the regulation is written in the proper legal language. Here's the critical part of that process. The legislative draftsmen are not permitted to add to or take away from the secretary's determination. All the legislative draftsmen do is put it in legalese. In other words, what's in a treasury decision is the official position of the secretary concerning the administration of any particular type of tax, while the regulation carries the secretary's official determination into effect using properly structured legal language. What about the laws Congress passes, more formally known as statutes? A moment ago, I mentioned that legislative draftsmen cannot add to or take away from the secretary's determination in a treasury decision. Likewise, while a treasury decision lays out the details, the particulars of how Congress's intent will be carried out, the secretary cannot add to or take away from what Congress passed into law. To recap, the process goes like this. Congress declares what a law is by enacting a statute. The Secretary of the Treasury examines the statutes and creates an official executive branch determination, known as a Treasury decision, detailing how the law will be carried out, including the who, what, when, and where of any obligations the public may have under the law. Legislative draftsmen then take the Treasury decision and structure it in language that will be acceptable to the courts. In this process, the secretary is not free to add to or take away from Congress's intent, and legislative draftsmen are not free to add to or take away from the written determination of the secretary as expressed in his Treasury decision. Not too difficult to understand, right? I should also point out that because Treasury regulations provide the details, the who, what, when, and where of any obligations the public has under the law, the federal courts have ruled that in tax law, regulations control. As you can see, Treasury decisions are the critical aspect of administrating tax law. Now that you understand the mechanics, let me share what is the most important aspect of the whole process. Pay careful attention to what I'm going to say next. Because Treasury decisions are the linchpin of tax administration, particulars that do not appear in any Treasury decision are not part of the law. As a silly but easy to understand example, let's take a treasury decision stating a tariff has been imposed upon and will be collected on the importation of electric vehicles with an exterior color of red. The treasury decision even contains numeric color codes that shall be considered red for the purpose of the tax. Is there any doubt in your mind as to which EVs the tariff applies? 
Do you imagine that because the Treasury decision makes no mention of any other color, someone can just make up in their mind without a shred of legal support that the tax also applies to EVs that are blue? I hope you understand that would be (laughs) nonsense. The U.S. Supreme Court has been clear about the point when it held the following, quote, In the interpretation of statutes levying taxes, it is the established rule not to extend their provisions by implication beyond the clear import of the language used or to enlarge their operation so as to embrace matters not specifically pointed out. In case of doubt, they are construed most strongly against the government and in favor of the citizen. In other words, if something is not contained in a Treasury decision, then the Secretary did not determine it to be within Congress's intent as expressed in the statute. Everything the Secretary understands to be taxed by Congress will appear in the relevant Treasury decision, and anything not appearing in the Treasury decision is not part of the law. All right, just a little FYI. If you turn this presentation off right now, you'd already know more about how federal taxation works than 99% of the American public. But stay with me because you're about to have your mind blown. Also, please take a moment and subscribe to the channel and hit the like button. For brevity, moving forward, I'm going to refer to the Secretary of the Treasury simply as the Secretary, and Treasury Decision 8743 simply as 8743. I'll put a link to 8743 down in the notes. With all that foundational knowledge under your belt, let's get into 8743. The first thing you need to know is its title and subtitle. Its title is Section 141, Withholding of Tax on Non-Resident Aliens, which is the heading from the statute the Treasury decision is addressing. The subtitle is 26 CFR 1.1441-1, Requirement for the Deduction and Withholding of Tax on Payments to Foreign Persons. That heading is the regulation that provides the detail behind the statute. It is imperative as we move forward that you understand 8734 addresses exclusively what is stated in the title, withholding of tax on non-resident aliens. Not only is that just common sense, but I've read all 123 pages of 8734 and not a single word pertains to anything other than withholding on non-resident aliens. If you do not keep in mind at all times during this discussion that every word of 8734 pertains exclusively to withholding on non-resident aliens, you will miss the entire point of the presentation. On page one, we find a section entitled Background, which begins with these words. This document contains final amendments to the income tax regulations, CFR parts 1, 31, 35A, and 301, blah, 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 blah. CFR means Code of Federal Regulations. So we have CFR parts 1, 31, 35A, and 301. What are those? Part 1 is simple. It's all the permanent income tax regulations. Part 31 is entitled Employment Taxes and Collection of Income Tax at Source. That title is likely self-explanatory, but it addresses withholding from one's paycheck. Part 35A is entitled Temporary Employment Tax Regulations Under the Interest and Dividend Tax Compliance Act of 1983. 
Uh, 35A contains just one section, and that section commands payors to conduct backup withholding on interest and dividend payments when the IRS has determined that a payee has engaged in underreporting income. Part 301 is entitled Procedures and Administration. The Procedures and Administration regs are not relevant for today's discussion, so we won't be getting into those. The background section then goes on to tell us which sections of the tax code 8734 is clarifying. Instead of reading the entire list, I'm just going to read the ones that are relevant to our discussion today. Those are as follows. Sections 1441, 1442, 1443, 1461, 1462, 1463, which address withholding on U.S. source income belonging to a foreign person. 3401, which contains the pivotal definitions pertaining to payroll withholding. 3406, which addresses backup withholding. 6041, 6041A, 6042, 6045, 6049, 6050A, 6050N, as in Nancy, all of which are germane to someone demanding a W-9 from you and then filing a 1099 against you for the amount they paid you. And 6109, which addresses the use of taxpayer identification numbers on tax forms. Further along in the background section, we find this, quote, Reporting to the IRS may be required under Section 6011 and 1461 or under the reporting provisions of Chapter 61 of the Code, such as Sections 6041, 6041A, 6042, 6044, 6045, 6049, 6050A, or 6050N, the 1099 reporting provisions. We'll ignore 6011 and 1461 because they're not relevant to today's discussion, but the next part is. The reporting provisions of Chapter 61 of the Code, such as, here we go again, Section 6041, 6041A, 6042, 6044, 6045, 6049, 6050A, or 6050N, the Form 1099-9 reporting provisions. Those are the sections American businesses claim require them to file a 1099 against other Americans, against you. But 8734 has nothing to do with Americans conducting routine business affairs with other Americans. 8734 deals exclusively with American businesses withholding U.S. income tax from U.S. source income belonging to a foreign person. Remember the title of 8734? Withholding of Tax on Non-Resident Aliens. And the subtitle, Requirement for the Deduction and Withholding of Tax on Payments to Foreign Persons. What you're seeing in 8734 is the secretary instructing his employees, which includes the IRS, as well as private tax professionals and the general public, that 1099 information reporting is to be engaged in when making a payment of U.S. source income belonging to a foreign person. Shortly thereafter, we find this, quote, payments to domestic and foreign persons create a number of withholding and information reporting obligations for both the payor and the recipient of these payments under various provisions of the code. Did you catch that it mentions payments to a domestic person? A domestic person is referred to in tax law as a U.S. person. The point we need to consider here is why does a Treasury decision dealing exclusively with withholding from non-resident aliens mention payments to U.S. persons? I'll give you the answer to that in just a moment. The sentence continues by saying that such payments, quote, 
create a number of withholding and information reporting obligations for both the payor and the recipient of these payments under various provisions of the code. In other words, payments of U.S. source income made to a U.S. person but belonging to a foreign person can create, quote, a number of withholding and information reporting obligations. A few sentences further along, we find this, quote, The withholding of tax at source and the reporting of payments to foreign persons are also important to ensure that federal persons comply with their U.S. tax obligation. The first six words are the withholding of tax at source. Hmm. Where have I seen that language before? Oh, yeah, that's the title of the section commanding payroll withholding that reads Income Tax Collected Act Source. Fascinating. I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, Dave, you're obviously an intelligent man, but connecting withholding on non-resident aliens to ordinary payroll wage withholding? I think you're losing it. Do tell. A few paragraphs further on, we find this, quote, A payor making payments to foreign persons must also be aware of the information reporting provisions under Chapter 61 of the Code and other withholding regimes, such as Section 3406, Backup Withholding, Section 3402, Wage Withholding, and Section 3405, Withholding on Pensions, Annuities, and so forth. So you see... In a Treasury decision that deals exclusively with withholding on non-resident aliens, the Secretary specifically says withholding of U.S. income tax from non-resident aliens is to be affected by payroll withholding under Section 3402 of the Code. Now, listen carefully to me. 3402 is the section a company's HR department would cite if you asked the company for its legal authority to withhold from your paycheck. In short, we know payroll withholding is to be used to collect the income tax non-resident aliens owe on their U.S. source income. We know that because you just heard the secretary state it plainly in 8734. But what about you? If payroll withholding is required to collect tax a non-resident alien owes, how then can it be used on you? You're not a non-resident alien. The answer is coming shortly. If you've watched or heard my earlier presentations, you likely know I've said that a Form W-9 is required only from a U.S. person who is receiving U.S. source income belonging to a foreign person and that Form 1099 filed against you tells the IRS you received U.S. source income belonging to a foreign person. Much of 8734 deals with banks and brokerage institutions moving money internationally because things like Form W-9 and Form 1099 don't have anything to do with domestic business between Americans. I'm going to give you several sentences from 8734. Don't worry about making sense of them as I read them. Just listen and take them in. I'll explain why I'm sharing them with you after you've heard them. On page 8, we find this, quote, Chapter 3 withholding does not apply to that payment because the payee is a U.S. person. 
On page 9, we find, quote, If the customer is a U.S. person, the bank must report the payment on a Form 1099. And if the customer has not provided a Form W-9 as required under Section 3406, backup withholding is required. On page 10, quote, A U.S. person making a payment to a U.S. financial institution is not required to withhold even if it knows that the payee is collecting the payment for a foreign person. If the U.S. person has no reason to believe that the financial institution will not comply with its obligation to withhold when it makes the payment to the foreign person. And on page 14, addressing qualified intermediaries, quote, Reportable amounts paid are not subject to withholding or reporting under Chapter 3 of the Code. However, the payor must report the payment on a Form 1099 by treating the payment of a reportable amount as made directly to any U.S. person for whom it receives a Form W-9. And on page 17, quote, If a U.S. source dividend is paid to a foreign intermediary that furnishes a Form W-9 for another person, and such U.S. person is not an exempt recipient, the payor must treat the U.S. person as the payee for the purposes of Form W-9 reporting provisions. On page 30, quote, Paragraph B-5 is added to allow a U.S. taxpayer to claim benefits under an income tax treaty on Form W-9. On page 46, quote, generally the determination by a withholding agent of the U.S. or foreign status of a payee and of its other relevant characteristics is made on the basis of a withholding certificate that is a Form W-8 or a Form 2833 or a Form W-9. And finally, on page 57, quote, a withholding agent may treat as a U.S. person a payee who is required to furnish a Form W-9 and who furnishes it in accordance with the procedures prescribed in blah, blah, blah. Now, I know these snippets lack broader context, so it wasn't my expectation that you'd make sense of them. So why did I share them with you? I shared them with you because they discuss U.S. persons withholding Form W-9, and Form 1099. All of those titles and forms are applicable exclusively to the topic of 8734, which is, as stated in the subtitle, quote, requirement for the deduction and withholding of tax on payments to a foreign person. You may have initially thought some of those snippets supported the false establishment narrative on the use of forms W-9 and 1099 and backup withholding, until you recall that every single word of 8734 addresses withholding of U.S. income tax from non-resident aliens. Here are some key points you should take away. One, for an American citizen or American company to be considered a U.S. person, the citizen or company must be receiving U.S. source income belonging to a foreign person. Two, Form W-9 was created by the Treasury Department as a means by which a person making a payment of U.S. source income belonging to a foreign person could determine whether U.S. income tax needs to be withheld before making the payment or whether the requirement to withhold the tax would fall on the U.S. person receiving the payment. Three, Form 1099 was created as a reporting system so that the IRS could track the payment of U.S. source income from the original payor to a U.S. person 
so the IRS could determine if the last domestic guy with it fulfilled his legal duty to withhold the U.S. income tax before the money was sent offshore to the foreign owner. There is no statute, regulation, or treasury decision in existence that requires Americans doing business with other Americans within the states of the Union, without foreign persons involved, to seek or furnish a Form W-9, or to file a Form 1099 concerning payments made between the two domestic parties. A claim that such a requirement exists is a gross misunderstanding and a gross perversion of what the law actually says. We've been talking about withholding income tax from U.S. source income before it moves offshore to its foreign owner. As we've seen in 8734, withholding is performed by a withholding agent. Forms submitted to a withholding agent so the withholding agent can verify the status of a payee are referred to as withholding certificates. So, what forms are withholding certificates? Let's see what the regulations say. 26 CFR 1.1471-1B148 reads as follows, quote, The term withholding certificate means a Form W-8, Form W-9, or any other certificate that under the code or regulations certified or establishes the Chapter 4 status of a payee of beneficial owner. Close quote. Chapter 4 addresses withholding from and reporting about U.S. source income moved offshore to a foreign owner. So, if Form W-9 is a withholding certificate, which it is, used to show U.S. person status to a withholding agent, so the withholding agent knows whether or not to withhold a foreign person's U.S. income tax, why the hell is a domestic company asking you for a W-9 when you provide a product or service to them? We've covered a lot of ground. And I know what some of you critical thinkers are thinking right now. You're thinking essentially this. Dave, just because all these things apply to foreign persons with U.S. source income doesn't mean they don't also apply to Americans engaged in domestic business with other Americans. In other words, you're thinking that applicability of the rules to Group A doesn't automatically lead to the conclusion those rules don't also apply to Group B. With the knowledge you possess at this moment, that's a reasonable thought. An intelligent person will alter his or her position when new information comes along showing the earlier position wasn't correct, right? I'm now going to give you that additional information, the information that destroys that reasonable thought you had just a moment ago. In Income Tax Shattering the Mess, I talk about the difference between general language and specific language. An example of general language is when a statute says something like, every person required. That's general because every person is qualified by the word required without any discussion of who's required. Another example would be a section that talks about the taxpayer being required to do this or such without any explanation of how a person becomes a taxpayer. Specific language is the opposite, telling us precisely what we need to know clearly and in detail. When attempting to determine to whom the income tax applies and in what circumstances, general language is worthless. Your answers will come only from specific language. Treasury decisions employ specific language. As an example, I think you'd agree that 8734 is pretty damn specific. All Treasury decisions, of necessity, 
provide that needed specificity. And that brings us to the point, to the big reveal. In the 110 years since the income tax was enacted, there is not a single Treasury decision that talks about American citizens living and working in the states of the Union, earning their own domestic source income, being required to fill out a Form W-4, Form W-9, or file any form whatsoever with the IRS. Not one. Nada. Zero. Nothing. In 110 years. Earlier, you heard the U.S. Supreme Court make this statement, quote, In the interpretation of statutes levying taxes, it is the established rule not to extend their provisions by implication beyond the clear import of the language used, or to enlarge their operations so as to embrace matters not specifically pointed out. In case of doubt, they are construed most strongly against the government and in favor of the citizen. So, if the Supreme Court has ruled that provisions of tax law cannot be extended beyond what is clearly stated, how can someone claim tax law extends to things that don't appear anywhere in the law? When we talk about things that don't appear anywhere in the law, such as an ordinary working American having to fill out a W-4 or a W-9, does that also apply to Form 1040? You bet. There are 10 Treasury decisions in which the Secretary tells the public that a 1040 is to be used by a non-resident alien or his domestic agent to report the amount of U.S. income tax due on the non-resident alien's U.S. source income. Those Treasury decisions are 1928, 1953, 2013, 2401, 2402, 2815, 2988, and 6500. In contrast to those 10 Treasury decisions, how many say that anyone other than a non-resident alien or his domestic agent is to file a 1040? You likely already predicted the answer. There are no Treasury decisions that instruct anyone other than a non-resident alien with U.S. source income or his domestic agent to file a 1040. Zero. Zip. Zilch. Nada in 110 years. In fact, if the numerical designation of return begins with 104 followed by any fourth number, such as 1041, 1042, 1044, and so on, that return pertains exclusively to non-resident aliens with U.S. source income. Do you know the title of Form 1040? The title is U.S. Individual Income Tax Return. I'd guess most people believe the word individual is meant to distinguish it from a corporate return. And certainly the 1040 is to be used by a person rather than an entity, but that's not what individual means on the 1040. Treasury Decision 1928 says that a Form 1040 is to be used by an individual. The regulation at 1.1441-1C3 contains the definition of individual for the purpose of the income tax. The definition is split into two parts. The first part, subsection I, says an individual is an alien individual. The second part, subsection II, states an individual is a non-resident alien individual. In other words, 10 Treasury decisions say Form 1040 is to be used by a non-resident alien or his domestic agent 
with one of those Treasury decisions specifically using the word individual, and then that portion of the regs addressing withholding of the tax tells us individual means a non-resident alien. In other words, if the Treasury Department wanted to be transparent, which it does not when it comes to the income tax, rather than being named U.S. individual income tax return, the 1040 would be named U.S. non-resident alien income tax return. Both titles mean the exact same thing, but one is misleading while the other is accurately descriptive. Given the meaning of individual in U.S. income tax law, I might also point out that the very first income tax regulation in the Code of Federal Regulations, which is 1.1-1, is entitled Income Tax on Individuals. Let's put what you learned today to the test by checking your ability to understand how general language must be viewed now that you know the specific persons and circumstances to which that general language must apply. Though we didn't get into it today, 8734 has a lot to say about backup withholding. It's mentioned consistently throughout 8734. We must remember that every word of 8734 pertains to withholding from non-resident aliens. And just like W-4s, W-9s, W-2s, and 1099s, there is no Treasury decision in existence that applies backup withholding to Americans doing business with other Americans within the 50 states without a foreign person involved. So let's look at 3406, the backup withholding section, and see if you can make sense of it knowing what you know now. Subsection A is entitled Requirement to Deduct and Withhold and begins with paragraph 1 that says, In general... In the case of any reportable payment, if A, the payee fails to furnish his TIN to the payor in the manner required, or B, the secretary notifies the payor that the TIN furnished by the payee is incorrect, then the payor shall deduct and withhold from such payment a tax equal to blah, 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 blah. Knowing what you know now, can you describe the practical meaning of payor in 3406? Think about it in light of 8734. For the purpose of the income tax, payor means a person or entity making a payment of U.S. source income owned by a foreign person. Since the statute is requiring a TIN, a taxpayer identification number, we know that the payment is being made to a U.S. person acting as an agent of the income's foreign owner. 3406 is saying the presumptive U.S. person must provide a TIN on a Form W-9 in order to verify U.S. person's status to the payor. And if the presumptive U.S. person does not provide a TIN on a W-9 or provides an inaccurate TIN, then the payor must also take on the role of a withholding agent and withhold the income tax the foreign person owes on his U.S. income. The transition of a payor to a withholding agent is quite common. In fact, it is so common that in the definition of payor in the regulations at 1.1441-1C19 specifically states that the payor, quote, generally includes a withholding agent. Let me also point out that the definition of payor is in the section entitled Requirement for the Deduction and Withholding of Tax on Payments to a Foreign Person. I also want to bring to your attention the fact that 3406 is within Chapter 24 of the Code, which is entitled Collection of Income Tax at Source on Wages. Whenever you see the phrase Collection of Income Tax at Source, 
It always means the withholding of U.S. income tax owed by a foreign person, whether it's the phrase collection of income tax at source or U.S. source income, source means the U.S. origin of the foreign person's U.S. income. We've covered a lot of ground today, and despite my best efforts to streamline the material and make it easy to understand, you're probably feeling a bit overloaded right now. Given how much we've covered today, it may surprise you to learn it is just the tip of the iceberg. In these presentations, I usually tackle one evidentiary issue. Today it was Treasury Decision 8734. But there is so much more, and it is all laid out in a crystal clear and easy to understand manner in Income Tax Shattering the Mist. Income Tax Shattering the Mist gives you all the evidence you need to be one. 100% certain that Congress has never imposed the income tax on ordinary working Americans earning their own domestic income within the states of the Union. You can get Income Tax Shattering the Mist at drreality.news, drreality.news. If you want the same kind of evidence-based breakdown as you've seen today, but focused on how your body's physiology actually works, rather than the false establishment narrative that Americans have been fed for 60 years— while you're purchasing Income Tax Shattering the Mist, also grab a copy of Body Science. You may have noticed that the health of the American people is sinking like the Titanic. 70% of our population is overweight or obese. Diseases such as diabetes and Alzheimer's are exploding. Obesity in children, which was almost unknown a few decades ago, is now commonplace. Due to trillion-dollar industries pouring money into bogus research, Fake science is everywhere these days. Corrupt studies are making absurd claims, such as that things like salt or eating red meat causes type 2 diabetes. In short, America's health is in the shitter and getting worse every day because certain industries and the U.S. government have engaged in massive disinformation. Body science shows you that process, shows you the disinformation what will likely shock you is that most everything you now believe about health and physiology is inaccurate. And it's not your fault. If you and everyone you know had been told since birth that the human body does not make use of oxygen, and every medical professional you'd ever met confirmed that, and thousands of scientists were quoted in the media saying it, you might well believe it. That's analogous to the disinformation about human physiology that has led the people of the wealthiest, and most technologically advanced nation on Earth to be the sickest people in all of human history, and getting sicker every day. I know I'm being a bit cryptic, but this has already been a long presentation, and I'm trying to give you a sense of what body science is about without making this lengthy presentation even longer. Suffice to say that if you read body science and put into action what you find there, you will leave the ranks of the misled and sick and become astoundingly healthy. I practice what I preach. I haven't filed an income tax return or paid a penny of income tax in 30 years. I also adhere to everything in body science, and at 64, I'm as healthy as an 18-year-old. Body science has never gotten anything less than a five-star rating, and readers rave about the fact that they look and feel decades younger after putting into action what they learn in body science. So go to drreality.news and pick up a copy of Income Tax Shattering the Mist and Body Science. They will be two of the most fascinating books you have ever read. 
my word to you on that. Also, by purchasing Income Tax Shattering the Mist and or Body Science, you help me to continue to be here for you with these revealing and thought-provoking presentations. Please, share this presentation everywhere, and thank you for being here. Take care.